0: Welcome to Red Sky Fuel for Thought, the podcast from Red Havas that interviews leaders in industry to bring you the latest insights, brightest thinking, and emerging trends in communications. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Nancy Anderson, joined by co-host Georgina Thompson. This is our third episode of the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast, and we're excited to share that we are formally on Apple, Spotify, Google, and all of your favorite podcast hosting sites. In this episode, we introduce our first roundtable discussion, led by Red Havas Executive Vice President, Linda Descano. Then, we close every episode with the Red Questionnaire. We ask the same questions to different guests to better understand how they operate, what inspires them, and we close that segment with some words of encouragement or motivation that sends you off into the world, ready to take on the day. Our guest for this episode is Tiffany Wirth, Senior Vice President of Healthcare Marketing at WEX. But first, Red Havas Executive Vice President, Linda Descano, will moderate a roundtable discussion that examines how brands are navigating shifting expectations magnified by the COVID-19 pandemic, recent protests, and a highly charged political environment in the U.S. Thank you, Nancy. The COVID-19 pandemic and recent protests
1: of systemic racial inequity and injustice have put brands under the spotlight like never before. Boardrooms, real and virtual have become more rooms as brands have had to decide how to keep the wheels turning, how to stay aligned with their ideals around purpose during a super political polarized time, particularly in the United States and whether they should stay on the sidelines or weigh in on the political and social issues facing uh, their communities. And if they are going to engage whether they should lead or to follow. The hurdles trying to navigate this four-way intersection of pandemics, protests, politics, and purposes is not an easy or simple feat for even the most advanced brands. So how can a brand connect with its customers at a time when so many are divided on some of the most important issues facing society? Is the resurgence of the purpose-led brand permanent? And what does all of this mean for brands and their role in civil society going forward? These are just a few of the questions that we will be discussing on today's roundtable with James Wright, CEO of Red Havas and global chairman of the Havas PR Global Collective. Maria Garrido, Senior Vice President of Brand Marketing in the Vivendi Village and Chief Insights Officer of the Havas Group. And last but not least, Sarah Nakmus, Managing Director and Head of the Washington DC Office of Abernathy McGregor. Welcome all of you. Thank you for joining us today. So Maria, I'd like to turn it to you to set the stage for our conversation by sharing how consumers' perceptions and expectations about brands have changed over the past few years, but particularly over the past six or seven months with the COVID-19 pandemic and subsequent protests.
2: Sure, Linda. Well, as you know, we run a study at Havas, it's called Meaningful Brands, that we've been actually running for about 10 years. And a trend that we spotted maybe about four or five years ago is that the role that brands play in society, the contribution they make to the local communities, to the economy, to their employees, is becoming a more and more important part of what defines meaningful for people. Even if they're buying products or services that don't have any direct link to that, they do want to see what brands are doing in that space. Um, and even before COVID-19, we know that there are a lot of political uncertainty around the world was leading people to say that companies have a more important role than governments in creating a better future in helping solve societal and environmental problems. What we've seen happen this year is just an acceleration of trends that were already there. Uh, people want to buy from brands that share their values. Uh, they, want, they want to see and hear and concretely uh, see the actions uh, that brands are bringing to society and how they're contributing not only to their staff, but in providing products and services that are a little bit less hassle, let's say hassle-free during the time of COVID-19, but also how they're helping their local communities to deal with the current societal issues. And Maria,
1: are you seeing that different types of brands, brands in different industries are being held to the same standard,
2: different standards? How are these expectations manifesting themselves? So even before the crisis we find ourselves in now, there are certain industries that generally have higher expectations when it comes to the collective benefit that they provide. And it tends to be industries that have more of a local flavor. So things like retail, finance, uh, travel and tourism, In, in those three categories, we always see higher expectations when it comes to the contribution that those brands should be making to the local community.
1: Great. So James and Sarah, you work with brands on a day-to-day basis. Um, And as Maria said, more brands are being asked to take a position to weigh in on these societal issues from issues around immigration to the environment to to racial discrimination and and social inequity. Couple of questions. Is it okay for a brand to stay in the middle? Um, And how should brands be thinking about balancing the interest between stakeholders and shareholders, you know, as we see this resurgence of stakeholder capitalism and this idea of being a purpose-led plan. Are the the interests between shareholders and stakeholders really competing, or are they aligned? Um, James, do you want to kick us off?
3: Sure. I think a lot of brands and organizations have been talking about having a purpose beyond profit over the past five or six years, and this last six months has really seen that pressure tested in a way that we haven't seen before. And so it's whether they can hold true to that. And they have brought uh, shareholders in on that promise around their purpose, and they have brought consumers in. And so actually to, um, to pressure test that in the way that the pandemic and the racial injustice uh, issues have has been one that uh, has tried a lot of uh, C-suite, a lot of the C-suite and a lot of, a lot of boardrooms but ultimately, I think what we've seen, though, is a lot of organizations actually double down on their purpose and actually even go further than that. And I think it's actually broadened the concept of purpose and taken it on to a new level because of that um, situation that they've, that they've been in. So I think for brands, yeah, you can stay in the middle if that's where you, you want to be. And it will depend on your brand and on your situation, what, what people are telling you. But, I, I, but what I found with the clients that we are... Um, operating uh, with is that their consumers and actually more importantly their employees want them to take a stand, and that's that's really really critical. And I think you know employees as brand ambassadors as people that come in and out of your virtual building or real building every day working for your uh, company need to feel that you're standing for something that they stand for that you share their values. And if if if, if that is happening they are going to be a more effective workforce and therefore you're going to be a more effective company. And of course, you know, consumers want to be able to relate, as Maria has said, to the to the brand that they're buying from. That's really, really important. I think in different categories and in different industries, it matters more. I think some of those kind of, you know, if you go out and buy, you know, uh, some more transactional items, it can become less of a thought process and might be more of what's, easiest, what's the easiest thing to buy, particularly when you talk about groceries. But then you actually go sort of further than that. And I think, you know, there's a lot of intel in the Havas meaningful brand study as Maria has alluded to and talked about that proves that point. So I think, you know, for, for me, um, the time to stand on the, the sidelines has, has come and gone. I think particularly around, you know, the position of the pandemic and racial injustice, you know, which side of this are you standing on? And I think it's fantastic to see so many brands take a leadership role in lieu of political, consistent leadership. And I know that there are pockets of, of, of uh, very effective leadership on both of those subjects in different parts of the United States. But on the whole, it's been very inconsistent, and very confusing for people. And actually, it has been corporates that have led the way.
1: Now, I, I think you, you raised a really good point, And that has come out from a study that USC uh, Annenberg has done at, in a recent report from Fast Company about more um, people are looking to you know, companies and to CEOs as agents of change than government. So there is this shift. So Sarah, turning to you, um, what are some of the watchouts that brands need to consider when they're speaking up and out on social issues to avoid, avoid allegations of cause washing or some would say woke washing, depending on the, the topic that they're speaking about?
4: Yeah. Linda, I would say probably the biggest watch out for brands right now is to make sure they're being authentic and their actions are matching the awards. The worst thing that brands can come out right now and say, we care about this. We're doing something about this and not actually be doing it. Doing a one-off contribution or a one-off meeting with employees and really making sure they're connecting with each of their stakeholder groups. I know you kind of touched on that earlier. No more is it just about what the investor is looking in this action. All of it, your suppliers, your employees, everyone, your customers all want to see that you're actually doing what you say you're going to be doing, and you're going to be doing it long term, not just while it's a headline.
1: Well, and I think, you know, um, what I've noticed, and perhaps you as well during this period, is that employees, they're your biggest ambassadors, but if there's a disconnect in your say-do ratio, they are going public, and pointing out that gap and talking about their own experience. So to your point, it's really important for brands to do that deep dive internally and understand, you know, how their actions internally align with their values. What are those gaps and and be able to speak openly and transparently about that and what are they going to do to address it?
4: Yeah, I think employees are a critically important stakeholder group that some companies are forgetting. They want to be a part of the conversation. They want to be a part of the solution. They want to be proud where they're working, and they need to feel like their voice is being heard, or you're right, they're going to go out and talk and say where their company's letting them down.
1: So now's the time to put you a bit on the spot. Um, Would love um, for each of you to maybe share, is there a brand that has really stood out to you for how they've responded to COVID-19 or engaged in some of the issues around the injustice and equity in the system. Or if not a brand, even a CEO that you felt was really fit for purpose and effectively used their influence um, to create a platform for conversation
2: and dialogue. Um, I'm going to actually go to China uh, because I think it's important to point out, you know, I made the point that retail is really important in this in this current situation. And people want to see, believe it or not, consumers want to see what you're doing for your employees first as well. Uh, It's a a thing that we see that keeps popping up in every study that we look at. But I'm going to point out um, what Alibaba did in China during this period, which is probably, for me, the best case I've shown in the last few months regarding this situation. So Alibaba, as you know, is a huge e-commerce platform, among other things, in China. And one of the biggest issues that they faced with COVID-19 is that uh, a lot of the farmers that sell to supermarkets or hypermarkets were unable to sell their product directly because of logistical challenges during the confinement period. So Alibaba, in a sense, went straight to the farmers themselves, rural farmers in China, and asked them to film little videos of them walking around their farms and live streaming to urban consumers what their crops are like, you know, what their mushrooms, their oranges, their apples, et cetera, directly to the consumers they were trying to reach. And this had a huge uh, positive outpouring, not just from Alibaba consumers, um, because they do expect retail and e-commerce uh, companies to help in this period, but they sold. They were able to get the farmers out of the economic challenge that they were in, and consumers were able to buy directly from the farmers, having this direct connection with them during this period. So very much aligned to, let's say, the brand DNA of Alibaba. There was nothing, this wasn't completely off-piece, as, as we would say in France. It was very much related to the DNA of Alibaba. They helped solve both the problem of their supplier and their customer during a very challenging time.
1: Great example.
4: And Sarah? I love that example. And you know, I think there's a lot of brands that are doing this really well right now, but one that jumps out to me in terms of how they're really interacting with all their stakeholder groups is ABI and BEV, And everything from, I think that Carlos Brito, really heartfelt letters that he's sharing with stakeholders saying, I don't know all the answers, but I'm trying to figure out and we're committed to action and we're gonna to get to work on racism and inequality to the work that they're doing around COVID-19 with, like Maria's example, directly involved with their suppliers. They're reusing their facilities to make bottled water, hand sanitizer, and getting that to critical workers that need their help, using their fleet to help. So they're helping everyone. They're they're talking to their employees. They're talking to their consumers. They're doing right in the community. And I think they're just, they're nailing it right now.
1: It's a great example. How about from you, James?
3: I think what we've seen uh, over the last six months is an acceptance from um, CEOs that they can't control everything, and a much more greater level of honesty, with particularly with employees, but also with you know other stakeholders and shareholders. I mean, I loved some of what, um, for example, um, the Nestle CEO Ulf Mark Schneider said, who said, um, "Get ready for the storm to hit because hit it is hit it will." Uh, and I think that honesty and level of communication sort of set up him in in good stead for the communications that followed and you know he's been talking to his staff regularly Um, and you've got other examples too you know Delta Airlines you know the airline industry being particularly hit hugely and Ed Bastian who is regularly communicating with great transparency what's happening to that to that industry and also pivoting his business into you know repatriating families and, and delivering health supplies. I think those stuff is, is, is really important, not just in terms of accepting that you can't control what you can't control, but actually being able to be open and talk about that because it's inherent as a leader that you are expected to know all of the answers. But right now, actually, I think we've moved into a phase where actually we should accept that we can't, we don't know all the answers and it's okay to say that. And you see that coming from uh, the very top of, of some very, very large businesses who at the same time are also delivering value back into their communities by using their strategic and technical capability to deliver um, uh, a value that is gonna only benefit us because we're in the age of the pandemic.
4: Add to that point, what I, what I think is really interesting is when I hear James talk about the CEO and the humbleness and being okay not knowing everything, it's fascinating to me how different that is from what we're seeing from our politicians right now, right? Who still feel like they have to act like they have all the answers. They know how to get it done right. And I, why would we be in a slightly different spot politically if we could get a little more of that humbleness, I think, in some of our elected officials?
1: Well, Sarah, since you opened the door about what's <laughs> happening um, in the political climate, you know, you uh, are inside the Beltway um, since you're in a DC area. Um, we'd love to get your perspective, you know, on. T- build on on what you've just said this constant flip-flop of political leadership on where they stand on different issues you know the pivoting and changing of positions um you know what is what is driving behind that in the past you've seen politicians be pretty consistent and stay on message but it doesn't feel like we're in that and we're seeing more divisiveness and polarization um than ever and you know how how do brands navigate when you're operating in such an extreme environment and one that is going to you know, persist um, regardless of the outcome of the presidential election in November?
4: Yeah, and it, so I'll start with at the risk of stating the obvious, anyone that watched the recent U.S. presidential debate saw we're in some pretty dark times politically, right? Loss of decorum, loss of civility, loss of just basic respect among different views in, within leaders of the party. Um, and, and that can be a really challenging space for brands to figure out how to navigate. I, I also think that it's important that employees and consumers want their brands to have a voice in the political process. So how do they find that voice? And I think you can do it in a couple different ways that are safer places to start. You can find issues that matter directly to your brand. For example, you see REI engaged in environmental issues. That makes sense. They want folks to get outside. They care about their environment. That makes sense in brand. Or you can do things like get out the vote programs. We've seen tons of big brands getting involved to sh- say, we're not gonna tell you exactly how to vote or who to vote for, but be engaged and make sure your voice is heard. And we're gonna give you the tools you need to do it. We'll give you time off of work. We'll give you time to go volunteer at polling. I think those are a couple different ways that brands can get involved. Stay, inv- stay with stuff that's core to their brand or to get involved just in the political process overall.
1: James, as you think about, um, you know, you have this purview of working in the U.S., but being very active with um, and running a a global agency network. What are you seeing? Is is there the ripple effect? Is it a tsunami effect on what's happening in the U.S. and the potential implications for how brands are engaging beyond the U.S. borders?
3: Well, I think, you know, there is obviously an intense... Uh, amount of attention on what's happening in the US right now because of course you know being such a crucial and critical market it sets the tone for a lot of um the economic power of of brands that we work with you know but this whole sense of punch and duty politics that we're seeing right now is you know I think a disservice to democracy um so brands I think are better off um sticking to as sarah says what matters to them and staying in their space with their, where they where their consumers or the consumers that they want to reach uh, are interested in providing that obviously is authentic and is what they really believe in but i think you know brand, a lot of brands in in other markets are just getting on with doing what they're doing right now uh, literally getting through um every week is is a win for some markets because Um, it's you know it's so tough there are just there is so many different restrictions in different markets right now that you know frankly the the U.S. election is whilst it's important to keep an eye on it really a lot of the sort of um, ins and outs of it on a day-to-day basis is frankly a distraction so it's um, it's like we will get to that when once we know what the the likely outcome is going to be Um, and of course you know there's scenario planning for for that um, but I think rather than sort of getting into what we're seeing, for example, with that first presidential debate, um, I don't think I've, I've really had much of a conversation outside of a sidebar around, um, you know, with, 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 with our sort of C-suite um, clients, around what, what we thought about it. Um, you know, it hasn't really fundamentally changed much about what they're doing. And I think that sort of says, you know, a heck of a lot. But, you know, if you take a, a back step and think of, 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 you know, the CEO of the country is the president, you know, what I would say is that, you know, crikey, um, I've had actually just a conversation yesterday where a CEO said to me, you know, if I acted like that as the CEO of of my company, I'd be thrown out the door.
1: Within two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's stay on the topic of of CEO, As, as I think a number of you pointed out, you know, over the past six months, CEOs not have only been the face of their brands and talking externally about how they've been responding to COVID, but you know, really uh, in many companies um, it really elevated their visibility. Some CEOs doing daily broadcast to update employees on what has been going on in the company, how they've been responding, this recovery process. And now employees are getting used to having this level of intimacy with their executive leadership team. Um, and, and, you know, do you expect that employees will want to continue and expect to see and have that same level of engagement with ceos going forward has it really changed perceptions and the the expectations of what the role and of a ceo is inside the organization
3: what we've seen i think with ceos is is it's no longer um you know uh, okay for them to sort of stay in the background. We've got some CEOs are very kind of uh, open to talking and being you know, front and center of the employee comms, of the, the comms with media, comms with their um, shareholders and consumers. You know, I think everyone's had to sort of take a sort of crash course in presentation skills, in, um, in communication skills, and of course, you know, in crisis management, because a lot of these organizations aren't used to going through such choppy waters and having to navigate through that. So, I, you know, we've been there as a sort of client partner to help them sort of get through that stage because there is an expectation that, you know, when communications like has been had to had to happen with a lot of organizations or going through such transformation, um, it has to come from that person who is at the top of the organization. So that's been something I think has also been a learning piece. And, and what I often say, you know, is also that, you know, everything that we're feeling is, uh, as employees and what we're going through and what we're seeing with our staff, obviously they're dealing with that too. And so you, there is actually something there that you can relate to. And so actually kind of talking on a personal level and a human level is really, really important. And I think that's where I've seen such a big difference between how um, leadership in organizations have dealt with this challenge versus how it was dealt with in the GFC in 2008, 2009, where, you know, I think it was, it was, it was dealt with a lot less, um, with with the empathy and compassion that we've seen today, and I think you know the idea of human brands has really come to the fore through the CEO uh, of, of so many organisations all around the world, and a lot of examples you know that we've we've given today. And I think that's that's here to stay. I think you know actually recognizing that you are human first is important. You're not just a brand and a product and a, and selling something. You're much more than that. And and that whole concept of being meaningful. That we talk a lot about at Habasio you know, where we're trying to create meaningful brands. That's where it starts. It has to start at the top of the organization that they really believe that their brand is meaningful. And for it to be meaningful, I think it also needs to be human.
1: Thank you, for that. So we're coming to our close. We're all communicators. Um, so I thought we'd do a rapid fire round. Just one piece of advice you have for the communicators listening to our podcast on how to protect and prepare their plan for this period of never normal that we seem to be operating in.
2: Maria, do you want to kick us off? Sure, Um, I I have actually three levels. I would say uh, protect (laughs) your staff and that goes both internally as well as keeping the public informed on how your brand is supporting and protecting your staff. Second, I would say is operational agility. Make sure that you are giving people access to your product or services in this difficult time. Solve, don't sell, if you will. Um, and then the last is the, to the point that Jane just made is create and care. Use the tools available to you to facilitate not only a sense of community around your customers, but offering social support.
1: Wonderful, Sarah?
4: If I had one pithy thing to say, it would make sure your actions match your words, right? This is the time where when the CEO is being much more visible, to their employees, whether it be more visible to other stakeholder groups they have to match their words and the brand is gonna to have to match their, those words as well.
1: Terrific, and James?
3: I think towards the, the, the grandparent principle, the decisions you make today, think about your grandchildren as being the key stakeholder of that decision. You know, will it benefit them and their generation? Will they be proud of the decisions that you made today? And I think if you think about that through that lens, I think that you will make smarter choices and decisions and not just ones that get you through um, in the short term, but ones that also will set you up for a sustainable and successful future.
1: Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. This was such a great discussion. Um, Nancy, I'm going to turn it back
0: to you. Thanks, Linda. Going to pass it right over to Georgina for our red questionnaire. Today, she welcomes Tiffany Worth, Senior Vice President of Healthcare Marketing at WEX. Thank you so much, Nancy.
5: Today's Red Questionnaire segment features a close friend of Red Havas, Tiffany Worth. Tiffany is the Senior Vice President of Healthcare Marketing at WEX. She leads the communications, public relations and marketing efforts that help WEX remain the leader in the consumer-driven healthcare industry. Recently, she's been working on some exciting initiatives, particularly around financial wellness, hosting National HSA Day, and we are delighted that she has joined us today for our Red Questionnaire. Welcome, Tiffany, and thank you for being a part of the Red Have Us podcast. Let's launch into our first question. So what was your first job?
6: Hi, nice to join you, Georgina. My first job was actually at the age of six when I was a certified nursing assistant at a nursing home. And that was a very impactful position because it taught me so much about teamwork, responsibility, caring for others. And really the most important piece of that was understanding how important education is to the future. For me, the critical piece of advice I always give teenagers, including my own, is you just have to get out there and do something to understand where your passion lies
5: That's brilliant advice. It sounds like you got off to a great start. And I wanted to understand as well are you an early riser or do you burn the midnight oil?
6: I have always been an early riser my entire life. One thing that's critical when I talk about being a good leader is I actually believe in sleep. Eight to nine hours of sleep are very critical for me personally. I believe that it does so much for your mind and your body. Perfect.
5: And Tiffany, how many stamps do you have in your passport?
6: I believe I have somewhere around ten stamps in my passport. I was traveling to Europe, you know, almost monthly and then had the opportunity to visit Australia, which I really love. And my favorite place that I've visited is Portugal and Spain, just because I think the culture is so inviting and so interesting and I'm hoping one day again very soon that we all get the opportunity to get back out there and travel.
5: What is your favorite social media profile to follow? And if you could give us some details as to why that is, we would love to hear.
6: This one could get long <laughs> because I think that social media is just really the core. <laughs> i <I'm> sure. <laughs> and then it's becoming even more critical during this time when You know, we've really lost a lot of our face-to-face interactions that we're having with people. But for me, I kind of parse them out in a different way is the way I'm thinking about it. Instagram, for me, is probably where I visit both for a business and personal perspective. I tend to really gravitate towards short bits of information. I think that they're very impactful. And having a team and leading a larger organization, it's really about the positivity and the energy from a personal perspective. I am a fashion junkie, so I feel like Instagram has done just a phenomenal job on influencers. And more importantly, it's very interesting for me to follow from a marketing and just from a advertising perspective to see really all the big brands are using influencers and celebrities in general to sell their materials. So it really is a transition in how marketers are moving products, really going away from catalogs and TV ads. And so Instagram is where I really follow for all of those things. I would tell you Facebook is a personal thing for me. It's LinkedIn, I would tell you is where I get my industry news specific to like the high deductible health plan, healthcare costs. Space. You can keep a pulse on both competitors and people in my industry, people who are wanting to find a position. A lot of connections are being made from candidates to companies on the LinkedIn profile space. Twitter for me is a straight up news and media. This is where I go for short bits of information from all of our major news categories. I really enjoy also getting it's a skim. And also Morning Brew, they are newsletters that are delivered to my inbox every morning. It gives me a great perspective. It's something I read right away in the morning. No,
5: that's absolutely fantastic. And I think, um, thank you so much for such a robust answer. I think um, the one newsletter that you uh, that you talked about, Morning Brew, I also love. So I'm a big fan. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> It's, it's a, it's a really cool one. So obviously as a marketer, you are reading the headlines. As you just said, this is a, you know, kind of a a key thing for you kind of reading up on, um, on different news channels and across different social channels. But in terms of the headlines that are grabbing your attention, if we should read up on anything this month, what would you recommend for us and why should we tune into that headline?
6: I think that there's obviously some things that will be more attention grabbing than others, especially in the United States. It's our political season and the month leading up to selecting a president. So the political aspects are very interesting to watch right now because it's tied in very closely to the pandemic. And it's also tied in closely to the economy and the market. Parlaying into that is really how do we as marketers in my world sell and market different during the season of both political and pandemic change? One of the things that everybody is really interested in learning more about is saving money. How do I do things in this new dynamic? What are the new ideas? What are some of our digital strategies? And one of the things that My company in particular has been focused on its financial wellness and ensuring that you are prepared when you are faced with some uncharacteristic medical expenses. And so October 15th, we're hosting HSA Day, which is a digital and virtual live event. And just seeing how organizations are doing things such as that to lead and get out to the consumers more directly and educate them in a very consumable fashion using people like influencers or celebrities or just the general somebody like them that might sit on a panel and be able to give them some more information on how to save money in this particular instance using your health savings account. And then it's really trying to understand how long will this, you know, the after effects be here? Is this the new normal? Will we be working remotely long term? You know, what does that new hybrid approach look like? And so I think as a marketer in particular, the digital strategies and reading some of the things that have been successful for other leaders is something that I'm really focused in on right now.
5: Absolutely. And I think that what you just said around learning from others, I think is kind of what everyone is doing right now. And because, you know, this, obviously this path hasn't been trodden before. So it's really interesting to see kind of the developments globally and and how us as marketers and comms professionals need to adapt as well. So we'll move on to our next uh, question, which is around cliches. So I don't know um, if you have any favorite cliches but this is kind of something that we we think is super interesting we'd love if you could share.
6: Clichés for me the one that always resonates and the one that stays true is actions speak louder than words and that one is even more critical at this point in time because I think people emulate the behavior they see from others and it's how you motivate people to come along on the journey is something that I continue to think about every single day. And when I lead a team, that one to me will always be the top because I think it is really true.
5: Amazing. Thank you. And the last question that we'll be asking you today is one of my favorites. And that is, what is your message of encouragement and enlightenment?
6: This one right now, I think, has a different meaning than what it might have had six months ago for all of us. When I was thinking about encouraging and enlightening words, you know, the one thing that comes to my mind, and it is somewhat of a cliche again, is every cloud has a silver lining. And there's things that aren't exactly the way that you thought they would be right now. So it might be a difficult situation. It's really tough. You want to make it through the day. These are things that are short term, but I think the other side of the puzzle is the silver lining in that is in particular in my situation, I was on the road all the time. The last six months has given me the time to sort of recenter and connect with both my family and really what's important to me. And so I think this has been a great opportunity for all of us to really Slow down. And then the other thing I would tell you, which has been enlightening for me personally, is the opportunity to really shift how we're doing business on the business side to more of a digital, scalable execution model. And I think that will stay around. I think it will continue to exist even after we get back to a somewhat new normal. I think that it's an opportunity for all of us to redefine how we're doing business and also how we're scaling the opportunity to connect with others on a digital spectrum.
5: Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Tiffany. And um, thank you so much for participating today. And it's been really lovely chatting with you. Uh, So thank you. Thank
6: you very much.
0: We appreciate you joining us for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. For my co-host, Regina Thompson, I'm Nancy Anderson. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. We appreciate you listening to the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Until next time, thank you.